Hey there, I'm Tracy Rigdon, and this is the Contrast Project Lounge Podcast. In this podcast, each episode is a journey through captivating interviews, engaging dialogues, and personal anecdotes that explore the depths of arts, culture, politics, and everything in between. My goal? To leave you inspired, informed, and entertained. Often random, but always relevant, always real, and practically nothing is off limits. So whether you're an art aficionado, a political junkie, or simply someone seeking a fresh perspective, this podcast is for you. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Welcome back to the program, kids. I have with me right now Jacksonville's most interesting man, Mr. Jim Alabiso. Jim, how you doing? Hi, Tracy. How you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing great. How you loving this Florida weather right now? Well, I got until we, we started doing the podcast, I had all my windows open. <laughs> but you know, we got right on the corner of King and Riverside, so we get ambulance, helicopters, and you know, whatever on the corner. So I had to shut all the windows, but I love it. I, you know, I, I know, right? I go. know, right? Hey, so 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 let's let's go uh, before we get into the meat of the program. Uh, tell my friends, fans, and followers who the heck is Jim Alabisa? Oh my goodness, that would take like three hours. Um, uh, That's okay. I do a lot of stuff. Basically, <laughs> if you want me to put it into one word, I like to create stuff. And that's really what it boils down to. So like, you know, when I write a, a, a book or write a song or we do a play or we do a television show or I'm doing software engineering or AI stuff or I'm swimming, it's always, it's always a creative process one way or the other. So that's really what it's all about. I just have fun making stuff and I love collaborating with people. And that's kind of the crux of uh, create and collaborate, collaborate and create. That's kind of what, what I like to do. Seems to be, that seems to be what a lot of creators in Jacksonville have told me, uh, whether they be, you know, painters or performance artists singers songwriters you know everybody likes to create you know within a group and sure. and and bring together you know bring together their you know combined yeah. you know experiences you know in life and you've done quite a good job of that well it was kind of always kind of i've, I've kind of grown up that way and um uh to work together with people I've, uh Probably the best lesson I ever had in collaboration was my first really great lesson as a collaborator was um, I uh, worked on the Exxon Valdez spill in 1989. And um, it was a, you know, I was with a few guys and we were all stuck in one little office doing some work on the spill. And we were able to just, we didn't, we had like these four by eight tables around and we just spin our chairs around and ask each other's questions and we would just make whatever we had to make work because there was always somebody smarter than you in the room at some, at some, at some given subject and everything. 
but and but that you know so it kind of works in everything and i've given talks uh, like at unf and a few other places about collaboration a part of it is just collaborate with people you trust because um and i don't mean just trust in the sense trust that you know they're just going to put their heart and soul into it and not to have any kind of crazy expectation at the end not to try yeah. to control things like i work with barbara colicello on um, all the angels come and we did that play. Do you want to go to the rehearsals? No, I went to one rehearsal and that was it. I didn't, you know, I just, uh, she and I collaborated on writing the script and all that, but it was like, what are we going to do for the music? We, we brought in some people from the Jacksonville Symphony Orchestra um, and uh, Bolt City Ensemble. And um, they said, well, what do you want to, what do you want it to sound like? I said, just, read it and do your thing and it was amazing and then uh uh i just i gave him one piece of advice uh advice and that was um uh, what was the name of that story david bowie did um a narration peter and the wolf and um they had a uh, uh an instrument for every character you know, so I said, just do something like that. And they did it and it worked. Marcus Williams did the artwork and uh, he drew each character and I didn't give him any guidance. It just came out of his head the way I saw it without me even asking, you know. So, and it just so happened that Mel Jones, who played Willis in the play, looked exactly like the character anyway. So uh, it was great. But it's like that in everything. When we do the big river events and collaborate with all the experts, with the people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you trust. And it's okay if it didn't come out exactly the what you thought it would. It's okay not just to have this try to control an, an outcome. It's really more about, you know, like they say, to be cliche, it's all about the journey. We had a blast getting there. Sure. So same with the television show. We sure. had a blast getting there. We made mistakes and we screwed up. I was nervous and whatever, but it was okay. You know, it was a blast. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, great collaborate. Ab absolutely. Now, in your experience, you know, as a writer, producer, performer, uh, you know, uh, what's the most profound moment uh, that you feel you're your most profound moment when your work deeply resonated with your audience? Wow. Well, it depends on which audience it is, but um, I would say, I would say I would go back to all the angels come because I got, you know, I got a, mm -hmm. a, a call from players by the sea and um, the um, director there at the time, and one wonderful man, and he he wanted to make a play out of it, and we talked about a director and whatever we got Barbara Colicello, et cetera, who did a wonderful job, and um, so so again I didn't go to the rehearsals or anything, but when we went I went to see the show, um, and it was full house. People were sitting in the aisles. It was just wonderful, and I just I lost it because it was received so well and they did such a great job and it was such a moving, the actors did such a great job and such a moving moment for me. And we did one other play to the sea that was performed over at uh, the Comer, And I did the same thing. Uh, I just, 
watch this story come to life. You know, uh, Kelby Siddons actually wrote the script. I just told her the stories and she wrote the script. As a matter of fact, it was kind of a, a weird moment because, you know, we went uh, out in the lobby over it, over at the Comer. I was there. I got there about a half hour, hour before the show. And there's like one or two people hanging around. I'm like, oh, crap, man. Nobody's going to watch this. This this is going to suck. <laughs> and then a right, right. Drifted, you know? And then Kelby asked me to come in and help her with something in, in the in, where in the gallery where we perform where it was performed. I didn't perform it, and um, I was in there for like twenty minutes, twenty thirty minutes. I come back out, the, there was a place was packed, and they were adding more chairs, and I was like, it just <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just it's it was great to see. It wasn't just about that the play. It was it. great to see. Yeah. Yeah, the plan a plan comes together like they used to say on the A team, right? George Papard with a cigar, you know. Hey, I love it when a plan <laughs> comes together. And it was just great to see all these people that were involved um, in the show to um, all come together and just make this wonderful thing happen. They made it more beautiful than the original. So that makes you feel real good. I I, I could totally understand that. Uh, you know the uh, the other day I had an interview with one of your friends, your one of your open water swimmer friends, Doctor Sarah Sohn, and uh, have she friends. had. <laughs> you have friends, <laughs> and 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 yes, we talked about we talked about. I have a daily routine. You you you. You have your routine where you go to the sea and you do the open water swimming. I live in, I live in the woods. That's right. I live in the woods and my daily routine is I go for a walk out in the woods in my bare feet and I get grounded to mother earth. And, and to me, that's, I, I would think that's just as much. It means just as much to me as open water swimming does to you. Sure, I bet it does. You can't get more grounded than getting your toes in the yeah, dirt. Yeah, it's kind of, And we laughed. We laughed. We laughed about the fact that, that every year I always I always post about naked gardening month or naked gardening day. When I interview and, yeah, you and, sometime, and, I'm going to ask you about naked gardening. My sport, we call it skinny dipping. Well, and you're well, grounding. You know what? You're, grounding. you're right. Well, let me. Well, you know, I'm 63 years old, and I can tell you, when I was oh, growing I up, it. When I was yeah. growing up, there was absolutely nothing wrong with going skinny dipping. Yeah. Now you can get arrested. I, mean, I know. I know. Yeah, but I'm we, too old to go know, skinny hey, dipping. You know what? I, I'd vacate I would think would leave the beach. I would I would think that given the fact that you're an open water swimmer, you're in far better shape than I am. I don't know. I'm older than you. It just it starts it starts <laughs> things start to fade, you know. So, but um You uh, know what? Uh, you know the thing Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's really not about um, anything but quality of life. 
you know, like when you go grounding in the morning, it's not going to make you live longer. You never know what's going to happen the next day. You know, you may even live longer from walking and moving your heart and moving your muscles a bit or swimming or whatever. But in the end, it's all about, you know, what did I do today? And was it a great day? You know, it's and, and it's yeah. kind of like it's almost like a journey in a big collaboration in a play or a show or a swim or whatever we're doing. It's not about the end game. The end game only lasts an hour. It takes it takes a month or two or three or four or a year to get there, and and you gotta enjoy every minute of it. So it's kind of like, yeah. So every day is a, that I can get in the water is a wonderful thing, you know. So I've been out yeah, for a and, little while. And you had me- but, uh, you had mentioned yeah. you had mentioned when we were on the phone the other day, you had mentioned something about well, yeah. hey, you know, when we we have aged out, you know, when we age out. Yeah. And I, I, I actually brought that, I actually brought that up to Sarah, uh, the other day in our interview. And, uh, I told her, I said, you know, no, no, I haven't aged out yet. I might be an old, I might be an old fart, but I haven't aged out yet. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, well, obviously you're not cause you're kicking ass. I mean, you're just, you've got a lot of <laughs> interviews under your belt and you got up. So that's a great thing. But, you know, aging out simply means it, it's kind of uh, the wrong term. It's kind of like um, it's like as you get older, things start to break, you know, muscles get sore. Yeah, sure. You know, you're not as strong. Oh, as yeah. To be it takes a longer time to recover from absence from swimming or takes a longer time to recover from an injury. You know, so things kind of slow down, you know, so, uh, but I was out because I had some health issues. I'm going to go back in hopefully this week. So I'll never, I'll never leave it because, you know, those are my creative moments too. Well, like, I don't want just, when I, when I'm out swimming, I write in my head, you know, the next chapter of sure, a new book sure. or whatever. And uh, and then I just write them down as quickly as I can when I get in the car or dictate them in the phone or whatever, you know. So so one thing <laughs> yeah. that's really important when we're talking about this, it's like when you're walking in the woods, do you ever get ideas when you're when your feet are grounded? Yes, yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's kind of like when you're in that meditative mode and you're you're open to stuff that that that's when the ideas come. And I love, you know, Paul McCarty used to tell the story about yesterday. He still tells it, I'm going to say, when he wrote yesterday, the, the, the song, not the words, just the melody came to him in a dream. And he was so convinced that it existed elsewhere. Somebody else wrote, it. he had to ask all his bandmates, hey, mates, did you ever hear this before? <laughs> no, they never heard it before, it's never been written before. So he said, okay. Well, so he started playing the piano and he made up some words. I think it was scrambled eggs, scrambled eggs. How I really love some scrambled eggs and my girlfriend, she's got pretty legs. <laughs> and he did that until he got the tune down, but it just came to him. That was the point. And if you listen to Chris Martin at Col- in Coldplay, when he talks about his creative process, he doesn't say, I wrote a song. Never says he writes a song. I never say I write a song. <laughs> like Barry Manilow, <laughs> the songs, <laughs> the, the ideas, the poems, they, they're a gift. They come to you. And it's kind of, right. so it's kind of like I was given an idea 
and this is the other part of the collaborative spirit is if you don't, the only way you really can claim ownership of an idea or something that you wrote is through a copyright, right? Trademark or a patent. But that right. makes the idea yours in society. But I, idea, I don't ever believe an idea is yours outside of the societal realm. You know, the idea is given it to you, given to you, and then you take it and you either do something with it or you don't. But if you say, I have this gift, somebody gave me this idea about all the angels come. It was just given to me one day. At, I was outside of um, Bold Bean Coffee, actually, and uh, across the street on, Tox on uh, Stockton Street. And I was like, I was given this idea and I shared it with all these people. Um, I collaborated with some people, you know, when we did the play and all this kind of stuff. And I even collaborated when I wrote the book because, um, uh, what was that book Andre Dumas, Alexander Dumas wrote? He wrote Three Musketeers and um, The mm -hmm. Count of Monte Cristo. And when he wrote The Count of Monte Cristo, he wrote it actually in 18 parts. And he published it in a French political newspaper, one chapter or one section at a time, right? Uh, Stephen King <laughs> did the same thing with The Green Mile. Mark Twain did the same thing as well. And so you get feedback. So you put out, you know, uh, part one, and then people write in and they go, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. This is a good idea. And then your story twists and turns and whatever. So even that type of thing is a collaborative effort. And um, yeah, it was nice yeah. to have that back and forth, you know. It's just like when a concert, over here, I'm not a big performer, but when you see a band go out there and perform, their performance is a lot different than what they do in the studio. In the studio, it's very technical, you know. But when they're performing, it's just this give and take of energy, right? And then it becomes more of a flow. So you say you're not a performer. You say that. However, uh, back when you were hosting the Tonight Show with Jim Alabiso, you, you really did leave a lasting mark. Uh, the people that were friends, fans, and followers, and there was one particular monologue that you did in the opening segment. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Well, nah. <laughs> it was a hard one because you asked me what was my most moving movement, and I forgot about this one. This one was <laughs> writing the monologue and performing the monologue even though they're two different exercises, uh, uh, it changed me in a lot of ways because you got to watch it on YouTube. Maybe you can post a link in the podcast or something later, but I, oh, it was I basically, I'll, I'll tell the short of it, but the short of it is, is that when I was a, a little boy, uh, it's around 68 or something. The monkeys had just come out with Daydream Believer. That's why we call it the Daydream Believer episode. During that time, I went to parochial <laughs> school, and the kids just bullied the crap out of me. I mean, they just, just knocked my self-confidence down to, down to the ground. And um, so I just got bullied all the time. So I used to spend a lot of time in my room, and I loved music from the time I was a little kid. The first song I ever heard, which I think was Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley. I mean, 
Uh, what was it? I can't remember the, the, the trio that did that. But I had the 45, and my dad had bought me this little one of those 45 record players that has a lid that goes up, and you put the 45, and you put the needles down and all that. Yep, yep. I, got the I had one. Believe. I had one. Yeah. I wish I still had it. I had, yeah. the, I had the Daydream Believer 45. I put it down. I put the needle in, and I would just basically close my eyes and pretend I was Davy Jones on stage, and everybody loved me because outside of my mom and dad and my brothers and a couple of friends, nobody loved me. They bullied the crap out of me. So it made me feel like, <laughs> oh, look at me. I'm a, I'm Davy Jones, you know, performing in front of this big crowd and – and yeah. in the monologue, I talk about, you know, I pretended they were throwing bouquets and bras and all kinds of stuff up on my stage and all yeah, that. Yeah. And then mother brought me back down to earth because I could hear her outside my closed door because I didn't want anybody to see me. Uh, she says, Jimmy, turn the music down. And I'm like, OK, well, that's a big crash because all my fantasies went away. <laughs> and um, yeah, but that's made me feel good. And um, so when I did the Daydream Believer monologue, I told that story in a lot more detail. But it was hard for me to talk about being bullied, you know, and it was hard for me to get up on that stage and actually see those people for the first time. We had 150 people or so in the audience. And um, it was just you know, kind of like an eight-year-old dream or 10-year-old dream or dream come true for me, you know, mm -hmm. and and it's not, doesn't mean that everybody in the audience loved me by any means, but, you know, I was a class clown and, you know, I was always trying to get attention. So the, so doing that and going through the exercise of actually writing that told me some things about myself and then actually performing it just, friggin' nailed it in and said, okay, Jim, you don't have to pretend anything anymore. You can just be the hell who you are. And that these little kids from my Catholic school just aren't there anymore. So, you know, it was just a trigger, just a, 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 a trick your brain, brain plays on you. And it, from that I point know. on, that was like a five-year creative explosion of writing to the sea, writing all the angels come, writing the plays, you know, doing the swim stuff. I mean, it was just amazing what it did for me and brought back my, you know, my confidence back. So, yeah, that probably had a bigger impact on me than um, pretty much anything else in terms of changing my life, you know, that COVID and a couple other things. But that was a big mover. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can totally relate to you, Jim, there. Uh, you know, me growing up a ginger uh redheaded kid you know in the south and uh, uh my sister and i were both bullied quite a bit growing up uh yeah. she she yeah yeah she and i endured a lot of bullying and uh yeah i think a lot a lot of it changed a lot of it changed uh down the road when uh i i you know, came out as as a member of a band. <laughs> I, I was playing it. I I started playing drums, started playing drums, and the bullying stopped. And uh, people started showing up at our house. I, I grew up in San Mateo over in the north side, and we practiced 
and my my dad actually built a room on the house for oh. us to practice in. Uh, Daddy, <laughs> and uh, uh, he was uh, he is still an awesome dad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he was always around. He uh, he was all about the music. Uh, him and my mom, they used to take me to gigs. Uh, and I remember her, my mother's father, uh, God rest his soul, rest in peace, Mr. Ray Mosier, was the owner of Fat City Saloon and probably one of the most well-known at the time, at the time, in the 70s and 80s. Ray Mosier, uh, the singing fireman. <laughs> it was a fat and, city and he owned, he owned, yeah, he owned, he owned Fat City Saloon out at Mayport, and he used to oh. book us all the time. He used to book us all the time for gigs when I was a kid. I was like yeah. oh, fifteen, sixteen. I was like fifteen, sixteen years old. And my uncle was booking our band at his bar, and my mother hated it. First, my first gig, I was living in Lauderdale at the time. I was underage, but I, I, I played in a bar. It was my first gig. And I, the first uh, song we, we did in the gig was Maybe I'm Amazed. It was right after McCartney came out with his new solo album. Oh, yeah. So we did Maybe I'm Amazed. And uh, once again, my confidence was shot to hell when I sneezed right after the second verse. <laughs> it happens yeah that was a, it, a wonderful it, moment but i generally much in a like performing music i'm more into creating um and writing i got off to the side here i got a, a yamaha keyboard and got a sequencer and pro tools and a bunch of guitars over here and um and i like to write so one of my songs on spotify Mike Burnos produced it, who lives right down the street from me, uh, the band leader for the uh, Tonight Show band that we had. So, uh, okay. And he's produced, he produced that song. I got another one for him. But um, uh, it was just, um, it's just fun creating for me. Like I was saying before, I, I if I got in front of people with a guitar, I, I performed, um, actually performed two songs. I wrote a song for, 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 for Brittany, who was a, the lead singer of the Tonight Band, and um, I wrote it for her. It was kind of a gospel-y thing because um, I, I have a lot. Brandon Flowers is the lead singer of the Killers, big influence on me. But if you listen to his songs, you kind of hear a lot of hymnal overtones, words like redemption and thunder and lightning and stuff like that. And there was one of these songs uh, he wrote called On the Floor. And you could have, if you would have changed the words, you could have sung it in church. And um, so yeah, on the, yeah, I yeah. was uh, down in Salt Spring. And on the way back from Salt Springs, I just listened to hymnals all day on Spotify. And then I learned some of the chord <laughs> progressions and I wrote this song just for her. And so I said, okay, Mike, can we have Brittany do this song? You guys play it and all that. And she can sing it. He says, no. He says, you guys are going to do a duet. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, he had to talk me into it. And, uh, uh, but I ended up doing it. And then I did one other song, a Coldplay song, I think. But um, that was about it in, in recent, you know, two decade history. And if you want to call being yeah. a talk show host a performer, well, 
I think I told you when we talked earlier that, you know, it's really an improv gig, you know? And, sure, uh, sure. Like what we're doing right now. Well, that's a wrap. Another fantastic episode of the podcast. You can find us on all the social media platforms, wherever you serve, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X, threads, wherever. Don't forget to like, share, and comment. And on our YouTube channel, don't forget to like, share, comment, and smash that subscribe button. If you're streaming audio for the podcast, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcast programs. In the meantime, I like to tell everybody, take care of yourselves and each other. Until next time. Peace.